Um, I, was, I was hearing about an old church pastor and he was uh, digging around in his wardrobe one Sunday morning for a tie before he went to church and uh, he, um, he finds in the back of his wardrobe this uh, box and it's got three eggs in it and a hundred pound coins and he's totally bemused by this so he asks his wife if she knows anything about it and she looks a little bit sheepish and a little bit embarrassed and she says well actually yeah she says um, it's something I've kept hidden from you for the last for the 30 years that we've been married so he's a little bit disappointed and a little bit confused so he says well what is it for he said well she says I didn't want to hurt your feelings and he says how can a box hurt my feelings well she said well every time your sermon wasn't great I put an egg in the box. And uh, so he goes, he counted up, he's thinking, well, three eggs, 30 years of sermons. He says, I can live with that. That's actually pretty good. And uh, so he says, so what about the the 100 pound coins? And she says, well, every time I got to a dozen, I'd sell them to the neighbors next door for a pound. (laughs) So uh, today our topic is encouragement and how to do that. So if Ruth comes around with eggs, let me know, okay? Uh, encourage one another, we read uh, in the New Testament. And I want to look at um, just different ways that the word is translated and used um, in the New Testament. Um, like different flavors, if you like. If you're an ice cream fanatic like myself, you'll know that you know, vanilla is the top selling, then there's chocolate, then there's strawberry. We're just going to look at different flavors of how this word is used um, in the New Testament. And I also want to look at Barnabas, who's known as the son of encouragement. I feel I can't kind of talk about this subject without giving him a a strong mention and seeing what we can learn uh, for our lives today. So let's start with uh, what the Bible says. This is the word uh, that we read in the New Testament, paraclesis, um, and all its derivatives. And it's translated, as I say, differently depending on the context in which it's found. So in the context of suffering, it's translated in our English Bibles as uh, comfort or consolation. Um, In the... uh, context of temptation, we usually read it as exhortation. And in the context of other situations, it's encouragement or urging people on. And encouragement is a word which means to call out courage, to call out strength from another person so that they can take on the challenges that they may face. So to call out courage and strength when they're going through suffering and going through hardship. Calling out courage and strength when people are battling with temptation in their lives and trying to resist that. Courage and faith to hold fast to the faith when the pressures come on, uh, when it costs us to be a Christian, or perhaps the doubts appear uh, in our lives. So paraclesis, to come alongside. It's where we get parallel, parallel lines, two lines alongside one another. So it is with this. It's, it's two people, if you like, alongside one another journeying together. Uh, Alexander Zolzhenitsyn was a prisoner in a Soviet prison um, for his faith in a labor camp in Siberia. And he came to a point in his life where he was so desperate and struggling so much, so weak and so discouraged that he, um, he wished he would die. That's the point he got to. And uh, the, the, the guards in the place would, if you stopped working, would beat you badly and kill you if you stopped working in the labor camp. And so he decides that he's going to stop because he can't take it anymore. But as soon as he did so, there was another Christian who drew a cross where Alexander could see it on a, on a rock um, ahead of him. And uh, he said he was so encouraged by remembering that God does give hope, that God does give courage, and it was enough for him to decide to carry on working because of a one Christian who cared too much to let him give up. And in the New Testament, we have books like 2 Corinthians, and that is a letter that is all about hardship. 
We read this in, uh, in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And this is this word, the God of all encouragement, the God of all paraclesis, if you like. And it goes on in the next few verses to use this word some uh, several, several times, nine times in fact. And it is translated as comfort. The God of all comfort. This is at the very heart of who God is. Okay, it is in his nature to encourage, to give strength, and to encourage us through the challenges that there are in life. And when Jesus um, promises his disciples another one that's going to come just like him, the Holy Spirit, he uses the word parakletos, which is very, very similar to paraklesis. Okay? The comforter himself, the encourager, the one who gives strength, the one who comes alongside to walk with you, to intercede for you and to encourage you. So this is right at the heart of who God is. And uh, these verses in 2 Corinthians effectively say to us, take all of the experiences you've had in life, all the difficult things you've been had in life, and turn them into a gift of encouragement to other people so that we can strengthen and, uh, and love and serve uh, others as well. Uh, Mother Teresa said this. She said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. It's so simple to say something, and yet the power of them through people's lives go on and on. Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verses 4 and 5, we get another flavor of how this word is used. And here we read of this, in your struggle against sin, in verse 4, then he writes, uh, you've forgotten the word of encouragement or exhortation that addresses you as sons. And so this second flavor is the encouragement to resist temptation in our lives. And then in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we read of the, the kind of the third flavor, if you like. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on uh, toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is the encouragement to hold fast to the faith. And, uh, and it seems that one of the parts of God's equation in this is that we meet together. So when we meet together, whether it's uh, on a Sunday, and um, when we're here you know, on time, on early, we are literally an encouragement to other people. And when we're absent, then we take ourselves out of that equation, God's equation of encouraging uh, people. So back to the, the book of Hebrews uh, for a moment, because as we, this little verse, three verses that James read to us is in the context of the whole book of Hebrews, which is an encouragement to Christians who have been falling away from their faith, and he's wanting them to hold fast to that faith. And so they're beginning to slip back into their Judaism and their old Jewish ways. And so the writer of Hebrews basically says, you know, at the beginning, chapter one, he says, the angels are amazing. So they're wonderful creatures, but Jesus is greater than the angels. And then he goes on and he says, you know, Moses is your hero. You know, you, you go back to Moses and he was a great man, but Jesus is greater than Moses. And he says, you know, and you guys, you know, you, you, you love the idea of the high priest and everything that he did, but Jesus is the great high priest. And so he encourages them to say, don't fall away, but put your trust in Jesus for every part of your life. And as he goes through Hebrews, he, he kind of highlights different stages of how people kind of fall away. And in chapter two, he talks about drifting away uh, through the neglect of God's words and encourages them not to drift 
uh, away. And then in chapter 3, in verse 12, it says that, you know, that it talks about them doubting God's word. You know, that uh, you have a hard heart. Don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another, verse 13. Okay, so don't drift from God's word. Don't doubt God's word. Chapter 5, he talks about being dulled to God's word. He says, you're so slow to learn. I have to go through the elementary teaching all over again uh, about God. Chapter 6, don't become lazy, he says. And all of this leads to kind of despising God's words through willful disobedience, which we read of in chapter 10. If we deliberately keep on sinning, um, he says, after we receive the knowledge of the truth. And then lastly, defying God's word, refusing to even listen to it, refusing to hear what he has to say to us in Hebrews chapter 12. And so it's in that context that we get these verses in chapter 10. And then following the great chapter in chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is the great chapter of the heroes of the faith, who did not give up, but despite everything, pressed on into all that God had for them. And so it's an encouragement to hold fast to the faith and don't give up meeting together because it's so important, as we've heard this morning, that we encourage one another and all the more as the day approaches. And so our life groups and our community groups are key places where we do that. You know, our 18s to 30s meet, um, our uh, aerospace uh, gatherings, alpha groups, our prayer gatherings, our Sunday services. All of them are places where we can meet together and encourage one another in these different ways and be part of God's e encouragement equation. And your simple presence does that uh, to it. And then right at the end of chapter 10, we get this verse 39 that says, we are not those, we are not those that shrink back um, and are destroyed, but are those who believe and are saved. And the word for destroyed there can also be translated waste or wasted, not in the, the hippie sense, but um, it's used in Matthew 26 when a woman pours that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and the disciples say, don't waste, why are they wasting it? And so Hebrews is saying, don't waste your life, but put your faith in Jesus and live life well. You know, as a young person today, that is hard. It's a challenge to live your life well, but don't waste your life and throw Jesus out of the equation. So encourage one another. And if it's suffering, give courage and strength to face difficulty. Give courage and strength to resist temptation. Give courage and strength to hold fast to the faith and... Uh, Somebody once asked, you know, how do you know if somebody needs encouragement? And they said, just check to see if they're breathing. Okay, everybody needs encouragement. I also can't feel, as I say, talk about this without talking about Barnabas, whose name literally means son of encouragement. So what I want to do is I want to just look at four short passages uh, in the book of Acts, little cameos of Barnabas's life, and then make some comments uh, about them. The first one is in um, Acts chapter 4. And uh, it's about generosity. So Joseph, which was his original name, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. That's the first one. The second one in Acts chapter 11 and verse 21 is about partnership. There's a great number of Greeks who've come to faith in Jesus. And uh, news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas up to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God and he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul ministered together. Partnership. And then the third one, boldness. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. The crowds are giving them a hard time. And then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you, they said. And then the last one in Acts 15, 36 is about seeing the potential in other people. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise because he deserted them in Pamphylia. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. So here are these four cameos, if you like, of Barnabas the encourager. And you'll perhaps noted that it was the apostles who gave this guy Joseph a new name, Barnabas. So it's like a nickname that he's given to them. And Barnabas, some of you will know that the, the bar bit means son of. So it's an Aramaic thing. So a bit like in Scotland, we have Mac. So MacDonald means son of Donald. And down in England, we have Donaldson. And in Ireland, we have O'Donnell, of Donald. So it, it happens all the way around the world. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And uh, these four cameos give us some insight as to what that encouragement looks like in a very practical way uh, in and through his life. So let's have a quick look at them. So the first of those is his partnership in the gospel in Acts 11. He was the traveling companion of Paul. Okay, he went looking for Paul to bring him to Antioch because he knew he would be a blessing to the church there. And when they went on the missionary journey, they ministered together. They were inseparable for about three years. They traveled maybe a thousand miles together on that trip, planting churches, uh, enduring suffering together. Um, on one occasion, Paul gets uh, literally attacked and stoned uh, outside the city, and it's Barnabas who sees to him and gets him safely to the next destination. On another occasion, they're both persecuted together. And it's this partnership that makes them more effective and more fruitful than just, just operating um, on their own as kind of lone rangers in it, um, as they encourage the church and as they comfort one another. And so in our own lives, how can we support and encourage people to do greater things for God? How can we support and encourage people on, the, on our front lines, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families, to do greater things for God than we've, than we've, we've ever done? And group life, group is, group is a great way to be partners with people and to encourage people and to see what, what the potential could come out um, of that as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we support one another. So it's great to think yourself, what encourages me in life? Okay, and to talk about it, what will encourage you and who can you encourage uh, also? The second uh, little picture that we get for him is his boldness. You know, Luke writes in Acts about Barnabas's boldness. He had great boldness and courage. And I think it's a trait that encourages. If you see someone being bold, okay, and being brave, it inspires us. And likewise, it's something that we can use to inspire others as well because it dispels fear uh, that we may have. And very often, um, fear comes because we lack faith uh, in what God can do. But when we see someone else stepping in and stepping up, then that is encouraging and inspiring 
It may be a book we read or a story we hear or someone we see uh, doing something. You know, in the book of Joshua, he's exhorted to be bold and courageous. Don't be afraid because bold companions give us that strength and courage. I was just thinking over the past uh, few weeks, really, where this whole thing with Cliff Richards um, that's been in the news. And I was thinking what courage it must take to take on the BBC. You know, whatever you think about it and all the rest of it, but it takes great courage to stand up against any injustice in life. You know, to, to bring good change into our world doesn't just happen. It requires boldness and bravery and courage to do that. And we need to encourage one another where we need to. It's not about um, being loud and obnoxious, but it is about sensitive boldness uh, and trusting God through that. Um, John Wesley apparently wrote the following letter from his deathbed to William Wilberforce to encourage him in his prolonged fight against slavery. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be with you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? So go in the name of God and in the power of his might. And if God has given you something, some task to do, don't weary of doing good. Okay? Don't be fearful, but be bold and be courageous and uh, encourage others uh, in it too. The third little cameo we see of Barnabas is this potential that he sees in other key people. You know, when Saul, who became Paul, he was the, the great persecutor of the church. Uh, you know, he was putting men, women in, uh, into prison, even to death. Um, and uh, then he becomes a Christian. But not everyone kind of believes him. They don't take him seriously. But it's Barnabas who stands beside Saul and, and goes with him and supports him um, in his ventures as he comes to faith and starts becoming the, the great exponent of the New Testament that he does. And when he and Paul fall out later on over John Mark, who has let them down in the past, it's Barnabas who stands by Mark because he sees in him uh, the opportunity for redemption and for growth in this young guy, John Mark. And eventually... It's vindicated because Mark becomes a great evangelist. He goes on and writes Mark's gospel. And uh, eventually they're reconciled with Paul as well. But it's Barnabas' encouragement that sees the potential in people to step out and to, to propel them into growth opportunities in their lives. And um, who, are the people, who are the people that we can encourage to step into things that will grow them? in God. It's interesting that I find very helpful the difference between affirmation and encouragement. Affirmation, and, and they're both really important, affirmation is about uh, it's sort of affirming someone in what they've done. So for example, um, you know, that was, that was great what you just did. Uh, or that prayer that you've just prayed, that first time you've prayed out loud, may not have sounded much to you, but it's warmed God's heart and it's really inspired others. So, you know, that's affirmation of what someone's already done. Encouragement is about encouraging somebody in what they've not yet done, okay, or what they're about to do, and giving them the courage to step out of their comfort zone, but giving them the courage to do that. 
So who are the people around you? Who are the people in your group? Who are the people in your family, in your workplace even, that you can look for potential in, that you can affirm, but also you can encourage to do greater things, propel them forwards? I came across this quote. I uh, don't think it's on there. Um, great quote. Our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Our chief want is, to, is for someone to inspire us to be what we know we could be. And uh, many of you in education get that opportunity every single day of your life to propel young people forwards. But every one of us um, can do that. And then the last uh, way, the fourth way we see of Barnabas as an encourager in Acts is through his sacrificial and humble devotion. And in fact, this is where it all begins in Acts 4, verse 36 to 37, where he sells a field and he brings the money and he gives it to the apostles. He, s- he puts it at the apostles' feet. And so often we want to do great things for God up in the future in our lives. But actually, we need to start in the here and now, in the present. You know, there are things that will grow for us in God, but we start now with the small things that he trusts us with. You know, we sow now, we reap later. We sacrifice now, we're fruitful later. And it's significant that Barnabas' first act of faith is a financial one. Okay, the love of money is the great idol. You know, we know the power of it in our own lives. We know the power of it in the world. Jesus taught endlessly uh, about it. And right at the start of Barnabas' journey, early in his life here, he sets the sails for his devotional life to be radically and sacrificially generous. He sells a field and he brings the money to the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. He doesn't give it with any strings attached. He just gives it as a free will gift and he submits it to the apostles to be used in the early church. You know, what an encouragement our, our generosity can be what an encouragement our giving can be and so we see the the son of encouragement at work we see him partnering in the gospel and so you know how can we encourage others how can you encourage others to to do greater things for god wherever they find themselves you know who can you partner with so that you can be encouraged uh, in your life secondly boldness don't be fearful but be bold and courageous. Take inspiration from others. Find others that will inspire you. Thirdly, what potential do you see in others that you can encourage and that you can propel forward? You know, people are, don't be afraid to, to speak and encourage people um, in what you see uh, in people's lives. And then fourthly, sacrificial devotion and generosity. It always encourages others. Uh, the American writer um, William Arthur Ward wrote this. Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. 